open your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 12. If you need the Bible app, it's there uh, on the link tree as well, so you can go down and uh, get that. Or if you brought a hard copy, open it to Matthew chapter 12. Uh, like we've been saying, we're in the first week of Advent, and the first candle in Advent is hope, the hope candle. And it speaks of the ministry of the prophets. You know, when Jesus came, he quoted the prophets to speak of himself. And he said that he had come and was anointed by the Spirit to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, um, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he reached right back into the prophets, and he, he had read that scripture and announced it. He proclaimed it. He reported it. Because the next thing he did is he looked at that group in the synagogue, and he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. It created quite the stir. In fact, he went on then to expand their understanding of his ministry from Israel to the nations, to the Gentiles. And at that point, the, the group got a bit agitated, and they wanted to throw him off a cliff. They wanted to kill him right then on the, the day of announcing. Part of the reason Jesus' announcement was accompanied by resentment and anger is that Jesus' announcement was an announcement of justice. And justice agitates people, depending on where they're sitting in regard to it. It says Jesus withdrew. That's the beginning of another story, or the response to a story, where Jesus found the congregation agitated again, because his actions announced judgment. We read the text earlier, how Jesus was in a synagogue, and the people there were already sort of agitated because word was getting around that Jesus had called himself the Lord of the Sabbath, that he was in charge of this space of time in which communion with God was their intent. And they had a whole set of rules and guidelines on how to stop from work and enter into relationship with God. And he is saying he's Lord of that time, Lord of the Sabbath. So when he ends up in the synagogue, there's a group in the synagogue who are looking to find reason to accuse Jesus of breaking their law, breaking the rules, a reason to discredit him and send him out. And so they asked Jesus, is it lawful to heal on 
the Sabbath. And there's a man there that they had sort of brought forward and pushed to the front. A man who had a shriveled arm. We don't know why his arm was shriveled, but the suggestion is that he couldn't use it, and so it was drawn up. And now they turn this man who is weaker and vulnerable, they turn him into a spectacle and a test for Jesus. Would Jesus have compassion and generosity on him? Or would he tend to the strictures of the law? He's the Lord of the Sabbath. And so Jesus tells them and asks them and even reminds them of occasions where in the scripture there were people who broke the law and yet were innocent. And he says, and even you, if you had a sheep, imagine your pet sheep. Most of you have dogs and cats. Anybody here have a pet sheep? Okay. Imagine you had a sheep and the sheep falls into a pit. Won't you reach in and lift them out? And the law even makes an allowance for that. And how much more valuable are people than sheep? It's a very convicting question on the part of Jesus. And at that moment, they are so angry. They want to kill him. Why? Why? Because in that moment, Jesus was doing justice. And when justice is done, depending on where you sit, you have a different response. I tell you that the scripture goes on to inseparably link hope with justice. Hope is inseparably linked to justice through the person of Jesus. Notice our reading. Aware of this, aware that they wanted to kill him, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant, whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out, no one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. So the message here that Matthew and the apostles seek for us to get is that Jesus God's beloved servant will fulfill God's justice for all. And the nations, the Gentiles, will put their hope in him. 
Now, when this first word was announced by Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 42, it came at a time where Israel had been scattered among the nations. Some were doing better than others. And the word was starting to come from the prophets that now might be the time to return to Israel, at least begin to hope that the season of lament and despair was past. Now was the time for hope. And in the announcement of the prophets, they announced a servant of God. A servant of God who would bring justice. But the curious thing about this announcement of a servant is that this servant would not be bringing justice just to Israel, who, of course, they had been pushed around and oppressed and dragged into exile and put into different kinds of workplaces. And they were under immense stress. And they, their families were struggling to maintain their language because that language might have been pushed down and not as useful in that place. And so they were looking for justice. Israel was looking for justice. But the strange announcement by the prophet Isaiah about the servant is that this servant would arise from Israel and bring justice for the nations, would bring justice for the Gentiles. Maybe some of them sitting over there hoped, yeah, let's get them. Justice. The judgment day is coming. I can't wait for judgment day when Babylon will fall. Can't you imagine some of them underneath go, Nebuchadnezzar's days are numbered. Justice is coming. But notice the strange word in the word of Isaiah. And the nations will put their hope in him. The Gentiles will put their hope in him. How many of you have hoped for judgment? You've hoped for consequences. You know, I hope I get caught with my hand in the cookie jar so that my mom gets really angry. I hope that I get caught sneaking out of the house so that my dad will get really angry. No, none of you did that. You weren't hoping that. And so, what is this justice if it's not just judgment? Justice is something we are all called to do. In Micah, it says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So justice, then, is something we're all called to do. Karl Barth said of justice that it is the basic vocation of all humans to do justice. So what is it? What is it to do justice? Tim Mackey from the Bible Project shares a little story and parable to try to help us understand the biblical call of mishpat. Mishpat, justice, to do justice. So he tells the story, it goes like this. 
there were a group of people called the River People. Any River People here? And the River People, of course, lived by the river and did river things. And so one day, they were out along the river doing their river things, and they looked out, and there on the sandbar seemed to be some bodies. And they called out, there's bodies, there's bodies on the sandbar. And some swam out through the river and pulled these bodies up, and they found that all three of them were alive. A man, a woman, a child. And so the river people brought them into their homes, and they began to care for them. And they began to nurse them back to health. And they included them in their place as river people. And then another day, they looked out, and there were four people on the sandbar just floating there. And they said, there's more bodies. And they ran out. And that movement of compassion again was present in their life. And they brought them in. And then another day, and another day, and another day, they found people in the river just barely surviving. And they nursed them back to health. Some in the river people, people, began to organize themselves to be generous towards them, to clothe them, to find places where they could live, to care for them and make sure that they could work and survive in their community. This went on for weeks. Until finally, one week, someone in the river people said, why are there bodies in the river? Where are they coming from? What is the source of their problem? Let's go find out. And so a group of them began to make their way up the river to go find out why and what could be done. That is justice. That is mishpat. To go to the source and root of the problem. God is a God of justice. In the last book of the Old Testament in Malachi, the people were asking, where is the God of justice? Some were acting, asking seriously, others were asking cynically. Where is the God of justice? I'll do as I please. We can push other people down. We can treat other people as less. But the God of justice is one who comes and goes and seeks the root of the problem. Where and why has this problem developed? That others are being vandalized. That the creation of God is being vandalized. Jesus said of it, the thief, Satan himself, comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. And so it's not just that the kingdom of darkness seeks to press down and oppress people of God's creation. It's that people joined in and also pressed down and oppressed others in order to lift themselves up over them. Where is justice? Where is the God of justice? 
Isaiah tells us, and Matthew associates Jesus with Isaiah's word, that the servant of God comes proclaiming justice and doing justice. So Jesus is the beloved servant who brings God's justice. Jesus himself is the beloved servant, full of the Spirit of God, knowing that he's loved by the Father, knowing that he's full and empowered with the Spirit. He is going to the root of the problem, to the source of the problem, and he's going to do something about it. He's going to do justice. And so he comes proclaiming justice. The second thing that we notice in this story is that not only is Jesus the one who proclaims God's justice, but he now embodies God's justice. He embodies God's justice in his relationships and in the way he interacts with people, and he will embody God's justice at the cross. Notice what it says of Jesus' relationships from Isaiah chapter 42 that we read here in Matthew 12. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. This was the word of insurrection. Jesus was not looking to start an insurrection, but he would persist in his mission of justice. He would do it. He would accomplish it. He would announce it and make it so. But notice his relationship to people. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. What is a bruised reed? How many of you have been hiking by the river? If you go hiking by the river, river at some point you will walk through grass. And it will be tall grass that will cut your hands and your legs if you were going in shorts. But if you had great big boots on, you would push it down, right? You'd take another step and you'd sweep that brush, brush out of the way, those reeds by the river. And Isaiah is likening people to a plant, to a reed that has been crushed, walked on. Do you know a presser's song goes like this? These boots were made for walking, walking all over you. Do you know that song? Maybe you don't. Maybe you're not old enough to know that song. It's fun. It's a fun song to sing. These boots were made for walking, walking all over you. Sung by a woman who's mad at men. She's going to get justice. Do you know part of the problem in this world is that the mechanisms of justice haven't actually been used to help those who have been hurt. The, the mechanisms of justice were either ignored or used to hurt them. And to protect the one who had all the power, who had the big boots on. And the scripture says here, 
that Jesus is going to notice those who've been crushed by life and by the powers. And he's going to strengthen them back up. He's going to fill them in such a way that they live again. Now that's almost miraculous. I've tried to help plants that got crushed by my big carrying on. It's hard to do. You have to straighten them up and give them attention. But notice he also says he's going to take care of the smoldering wick. You know, if this was a real candle, and I came over here and I was like, ah, I'm trying it out on you. It would smolder, right? There would be smoke just coming off of it. And this, the scripture here says that those people who've just been snuffed out, and all that's left of their life is this slow burn. It just sort of makes a smoke. Their life is a slow burn. Jesus isn't going to snuff them out. Jesus is going to revive them and bring them back to life. This is an amazing word that speaks of how God embodies justice. For Jesus came and renounced violence in his justice mission. He did not take up violence against others. But he did persist in calling out their hypocrisy, in calling out how the powers that be sought to oppress and rule people, how he sought to call out and note the kingdom of darkness and how it sought to discredit God's creation. Jesus persisted in proclaiming justice and then in doing justice. And he embodied how to do it. In fact, Jesus continued on to the cross in such a way that he embodies God's justice on the cross, fulfills a justice mission, and then calls people into a new way of loving God and loving people. A new way of kinship between Gentile and Jew a new way of relating as men and women. A new way of relating in a world that has been crushed and smoldering, snuffed out. Mishpat. We are actually called to be the people of God's justice. For what is hope if there is no justice? What is hope if there is no justice? You know, the strange word here is that it goes on to say the nations are going to put their hope in Jesus because Jesus is their justice. This is us. We are the Gentiles. We are the nations. And we are putting our hope in Jesus because he is our justice. For many of us in North America and perhaps at university, we, we're not sure that justice is really needed. In fact, we might be like the river people at first who are deeply moved with compassion. And so we're drawn to a person who is suffering, floating in a river. We might be 
moved as people who are generous. And so the solutions we envision are that of compassion and generosity. But we're not sure about justice. Because, like, we watch TV shows that begin with the justice system. And law and order has become a script in which maybe it's about justice, but maybe it's just another tool for hurting people. And how is the church to respond to that? How are the people who know the ultimate spiritual justice of Jesus and the cross, how are we to live today in a world like that? How are we to think about justice? We light a candle and call it hope. But there is no hope if there is no justice. Gary Hogan, who works for and founded the International Justice Mission, works globally among the poor. He's written a book called The Locust Effect. And he talks about how violence is like a swarm of locusts that eliminate all the efforts and eat up all the efforts of the poor to make a life for themselves. How is it that Jesus is to be good news to the poor if all we bring is compassion and generosity? Jesus must be good news to the poor if we also bring justice. If we bring a new vision of what it means to have justice. This is very difficult for the poor. Gary Hogan goes on to describe what justice sounds like to most of the poor. He says, it works this way. I remember, he says, a broken down, rusted truck that was decomposing in his grandfather's garden. It was a raspberry farm and garden. If you asked his grandfather, do you have a truck? He would say, yeah, I have a truck. It was there in the garden. He would point out that it has an engine, it has tires, it has a steering wheel. But if you asked him if it worked, he'd say, oh no. No, no one has driven that truck in decades. No raspberries have been hauled. No supplies have been moved. In fact, it's best that I don't go near it. It's just a hideout for snakes and spiders now. Gary Hogan goes on to say, to the poor, that's what justice is like. It's like a broken down truck. It's best they don't go near it because it's full of snakes and spiders. He says, if asked about the public justice system, I could point out the police, the courts, the laws, the lawyers, but these things are not useful to them in the same way that that truck was not useful to my grandpa. Just as my family had no experience of anyone ever driving that truck, the poor in the developing world have no life experience of the justice system being useful as a source of justice for them. In fact, police, courts, laws, and lawyers have become like the rusty truck in the weeds, a mysterious and at best dangerous and worse. This seems very far to us, doesn't it? Very far from us. But perhaps for some of you, you realize that 
You have at times longed for justice. Your family has longed for justice and found it wasn't working. Maybe you have been in a situation where you were wrongfully accused of something, where the gossip and work of friends worked in such a way that it wasn't friendly and you found yourself on the outside of that circle and you wondered, where's the justice? Maybe you found yourself in a situation at work and you walked away and you wondered, was I treated fairly, equally, or was something else going on there? Was that racism, misogyny? And you wondered, should I long for justice? We do indeed live in a world that is unjust and the promise of Christmas is that we move towards a child who is noted as the justice of God, who brings about a people who have the law of God written on their hearts. But how can Christians at times live so far from the justice of God? Where Christmas became something that was not good news, but something to be avoided. And so, this Advent, as we lean into this question of hope, let's not make hope just something we hope we will pass our exams. Let's make hope something that we attach our lives to because of justice. And for some of you, this will become a passion and a longing in your life. In fact, you will find that portions of your career are all about the attachment to justice fairness, equality, and dealing with the problem at its root. This is what Jesus did when Jesus determined that he would go to the cross. This is what we're doing when we invite you to go with us to Athens, Greece, to work alongside and with people serving refugees. We're asking you to make that move with some compassion, with some generosity, but also to stimulate a desire to know why are there bodies in the Mediterranean? Why are there bodies on the beach? Why are people fleeing for their lives? And what are the systems that make their life more difficult once they're there? How do we become a people associated with justice? It's not just trips, it's also prayer. And this is why we invite you to pray with us. It's because in prayer you begin to share the heart of the Father, the heart of Jesus, and the heart of the Spirit for justice for Jesus was born to establish God's mishpat, to go and accomplish at its root the defeat of the devil, and to set loose a people who would be transformed, who can also see the defeat of the devil. In Romans, Paul got so excited about this, he says, I see the day when God will crush Satan So then he prays, and this is his prayer. May it be ours as well. May the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have looked at a problem and said, oh, I can't do anything about that. Oh, what's the use? I'm not going to listen to the news anymore because oh, I can't do anything about that problem. You might not, but you might could. You might could. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you went to the root of the problem in our lives and that you sought to free us from the dominion of darkness and deliver us into the kingdom of the Son you love. We thank you that we celebrate that movement of yours at Christmas. Your compassion moved you from heaven to earth to take our flesh. Then your generosity compelled you to pour out your life and your blood at the cross. It was your justice. You were doing it for us. We thank you that across the days of Jesus' life, we get to see him doing justice. He rocked the boat, but he also extended his hand towards another and restored him. And he lifted him up. Father, would you help every teacher be a teacher of justice? Would you help every engineer be an engineer of justice? Would you help every geographer be a geographer of justice? Would you help every accountant be an accountant of justice? And Lord, it can go on and on and on because the world is desperate for hope. But hope without justice just words and kind emotions. Oh, Father, deepen our understanding of Christmas this year so that we can never separate justice from hope and hope from Jesus.